I think most people would agree we're probably kind of be going towards that again, uh, that softening of the market, right? And there might be more people out there listening right now that may experience something exactly like that, trying to get a short sale with the VA loan. What would you do differently knowing what you know now? So the biggest thing for me is on that particular scenario for myself was education. I just didn't understand what an opportunity looked like. And for me, I was just personally buying that home to live in. And I didn't necessarily understand how, how powerful a real estate asset could be. I didn't understand the four ways you can make money off of a real estate asset. Um, you know, whether it be cash flow, debt pay down, you know, tax sheltering or forced appreciation. So I, I just didn't understand at that time. So education, like you have to be smart. You have to, you have to know when you see an opportunity. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby. And this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast, where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now, let's get started creating this military cash flow. Hey, how's it going, guys? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby, and welcome to Military Cash Flow. So today we got a Marine on board. His name is Adam Whitney, and he's going to be sharing his journey on how to buy a multifamily property military style. Adam, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and you know what you're doing in the military? Yeah, first, hey, Dan, Mike, thanks for having me on. Uh, big fan of your show. If people aren't following it, they need to like it, follow it, love it. It's awesome. Um, so appreciate you guys. Yeah. So, um, I'm a Marine officer. I enlisted in 2004, did the infantry thing for a while, a couple combat deployments in OIF, uh, got an opportunity to be selected to become a Marine officer. Went that route, went through that training pipeline that landed me here in 29 Palms, California, where I'm a, I'm an instructor for the ground combat element. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you're out there in California, right? Sunny California. Oh, yeah. uh, we talked a little bit about before the show and you, you were saying it's kind of bare out there. Yeah, it's the, so I, I was saying before the show, it was a base that the army had and they determined it was uninhabitable. So they gave it to the Marine Corps. So this is where we do all our live fire training out here. Nice, nice. That, that, that does not sound like the army. I'm calling, I'm calling bull on that one. <laughs> <Not playing. laughs> so no, we, how, we so, definitely appreciate everything secondhand. We do. Oh, yeah. You guys got this. So, so this journey that you went from, you started off enlisted, you had the opportunity to go off, so you took that route. Now that, that, that shows, uh, um, there's this very specific skill set for somebody to actually go enlisted and go officer. You know, some people kind of give it slack, but you literally had to kind of uproot some of that, follow the, follow the lead to becoming that leader. What was that transition specifically like for you? Yeah, so I just, I was very fortunate. There were a lot of people I saw in front of me. One, there were people who encouraged me. I had great mentors, right? So mentors, incredibly important. Those folks said, hey, you've got something that we think is suitable to become an officer. You should try it out. In my mind, that was never the plan. Um, so that was kind of step one, put the bug in my ear. Then step two was I went, I PCS or I moved across the country in 2008 and I was, teaching at a place where they make officers and Quantico, Virginia. And I realized that, wow, I think I am actually capable of doing what that guy said I could do. Um, and that, that 
and then me realizing the platform on which I could lead from was different. And the really the young guys that you get an opportunity to lead as a lieutenant or a captain, company commander, a couple hundred guys, like your influence is incredible. So really that's what it was all about, having an opportunity to to lead and serve Marines. That's what it was all about. Yes, phenomenal. Not many people get to go through that transition, right? Um, and I think, yeah, kind of like Mike said, it takes a takes a certain person to be able to do that. That's 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 pretty cool. That is pretty cool. The um, so started off. When did you actually start getting into real estate, right? So we made that transition. You were enlisted. Did that? This did this kind of uh, notion in your head or this kind of idea in your head go off while you were enlisted and you're transitioning over, or when did that happen? And 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 how did that? How did that work? Yeah, damn, perfect question. So when I look back at it in my mind, that move across the country in 2008, on that drive, I listened to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. I don't know why I listened to that book. I wasn't really a smart real estate guy. I always just had this interest in real estate. So I listened to Rich Dad, Poor Dad across the, going across the uh, United States. And I thought, yeah, like real estate's awesome own assets. Don't, don't uh, pay for liabilities. So that was kind of the first bug. So now I'm thinking, well, I need to get some money. And then uh, I try, I get selected for the officer program, 2010, 2011. I go in to try to buy, uh, you know, I hear that. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just buy my first property where I live. So I try that whole process. Um, I can go, I can kind of go into how that started if you guys want to go that direct. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, so, definitely. So, definitely. So, so here's the deal that that bug is in my head and I'm thinking, Hey, this is going to be, this is the way I want to go. I want to start buying properties. Like every military member, you hear kind of the false notion of just buy a property everywhere you live. Uh, so what ends up happening is I, I move in 2011 up to Michigan and it's the property that that never was. This is this is a this is my sad real estate story. So this is 2011. Everything is on sale, 50 percent discount from a housing perspective. I don't know what that means at this time. I'm just thinking I want to buy a nice house and a nice city at an affordable price. I don't have a lot of money, so I'm going to use my VA loan and I'm going to buy this really beautiful house in the suburbs uh, near the University of Michigan where I'm going to go to school, and it's ninety-nine thousand dollars. And it's a short sale, which I also don't know what that means. But short sale, VA loan during this time, really hard to get those two things to mesh. So it's a lot of, there's a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucracy. I don't really understand at this point. I'm just trying to buy a house. Uh, fast forward up to the closing date, and I could not get the seller to do some really minor repairs. And I actually did some minor repairs myself to close on this house. Uh, turns out the seller... Well, the, the selling agent was a rep her husband owned the house. So there's some conflict of interest. I end up walking away from it. All right. So I end up walking away from it and renting. So that was my very first experience. When I looked back at that house and what it sold for four years later, it sold for $250,000. How much, how much money would you have had to put into it to get it to that 250,000 mark? You would have bought it at 99, and then what else would you have put into it? So, so when I look back at it, it had a little bit of water damage in the basement, but no mold or anything. So it really just needed some, it, it needed light repair. Mm, so we're nice. talking, we're talking maybe 10, 10, 15 grand at the very, very most. So you just missed out on six figures, man. Six figures. Most people don't make that in a year. 
I, and I didn't know, I didn't even know. I didn't know until I looked back. Right. So that, that's what I call phase one. So, Oh, go ahead, Dan. So what was the lesson learned there? So like that's, I know that there's people, I myself was in that exact same situation when I had a lump sum of money and I didn't understand what to, what to do with it. Um, it was a little bit different scenario than what you're talking about, but still the same thing. Hey, I made a mistake. I learned from it. What was the lesson learned there? Right. And then what would you do? Cause there's other people out there that's listening to it. I think that we're, we're, I think most people would agree. We're probably kind of be going towards that again, uh, that softening of the market. Right. And there might be more people out there listening right now that may experience something exactly like that, trying to get a short sale with the VA loan. What would you do differently knowing what you know now? So the biggest thing for me is on that particular scenario for myself was education. I just didn't understand what an opportunity looked like. And for me, I was just personally buying that home to live in. And I didn't necessarily understand how, how powerful a real estate asset could be. I didn't understand the four ways you can make money off of a real estate asset. Um, you know, whether it be cash flow, debt pay down, you know, tax sheltering, or forced appreciation. So I, I just didn't understand at that time. So education, like you have to be smart. You have to, you have to know when you see an opportunity. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses, we have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there, so go check that out and with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. Everybody listening, rewind that and just listen one more time. He thought or he viewed that property simply as an original purchase, but he did not truly understand the importance of a real estate investment, right? And if you guys just educate yourself just a little bit, you learn how to use that VA, which is probably going to be your next story, which you're probably going to get into, but how to find that first purchase that you can live in, but truly make it an asset. So after that, you know, what I, happened next? Yeah. I love exactly what you said. Like through that education, it helps you see the opportunity, right? And know what to do with that opportunity. If you don't, if you don't know what you're looking for, how can you, how can you find it? Right. So uh, I think that's, that's awesome. All right, sure. Can you continue on with the, uh, Yes. Yeah, so, so this, um, as you can imagine, doing the transition from enlisted officer, which is about the same time frame, is, you know, there's not a whole lot of time to, focus on other things, right? And I think at this time, I wanted to be completely dedicated to serving the Marines I was gonna serve. Um, so you can fast forward back all the way up to 2017. So that was 2011 timeframe, fast forward up to 2017. This is my next real estate um, opportunity. So I'm moving, I finally have, I finally make enough money where I, I feel comfortable buying like a nicer house, moving to the DC, Northern Virginia area. And my wife and I say, hey, we're only going to this duty station for about a year, but we want to buy a house as an investment. We still don't know what that word means yet. Okay. So we go there. And if, you, if, you're, if you're married or your, your listeners are married, they know when you're buying a house uh, as a couple, there's a lot of emotion involved in that. Not necessarily ideal for um, purchasing an investment property. So we think, hey, we'll purchase a property with the VA loan, no money down, BAH, our housing allowance, will pay for it for the year we're there. We'll move out. Somebody else will pay for it for the duration 
and we'll make money off of, you know, the debt pay down, which is true, but doesn't necessarily mean it's a good investment, right? So in this particular house, this house was $324,000, $325,000, and it would rent for roughly $2,000. So, uh, you know, real estate math 101 is the 1% rule. So if you're, you know, does it rent for 1% of the purchase price? And in this case, the answer was no. I did not know that yet. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is I live, I buy that house with a VA loan, no money down. So I don't have any money in it. It's a beautiful house. It rents really well. I've never had a vacancy in the house to date. Um, So I move out a year later. And this is when I get to my next duty station out here in California, where I'm at now. And I just go full in on real estate because I got, I bought my first house. I realized how simple of a process it is. I realized I did it with no money down and I'm, I start consuming every podcast and I mean hundreds of pot. If there is, I, I don't, I don't play video games. I don't waste time doing stuff. I'm either reading books. I'm either listening to podcasts. I'm just consuming education. So I go on this six month binge, hundreds of podcasts, 10, 20, 30 books. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. There's all like, wow, I made some mistakes. So then I went back and I reanalyzed my house, realized that that house was actually negative cash flow for that first year renting because it had an expense. I didn't know that. I didn't know what a maintenance and repair was versus capital expenditure. Now I do. Um, you know, a lot of people say, Hey, this house cash flows but they don't actually calculate all the expenses out. And it's like, wait, wait a minute, does that house actually cash flow, or does it cash flow as much as set? So I learned that. So that first property, um, it's in a gentrifying area, DC area, it's always gonna have a good, unless they get rid of the government and the military industrial complex, it'll always have renters in there. So I'm okay with that house. Um, so then I said, okay, now I need to buy my next house. So this is all within like a 12 month period. This is October, so that was 2017, I bought the house, I moved in 2018. 2018 is my year of education. Uh, you know, that's where I got my doctorate in real estate. And then 2019, now I'm on the hunt. So I go out and I find all these different ways you can buy property. So, you know, I read David Green's Burr book and long distance real estate investing, because I'm in California, I can't buy anything here. So let me go find a place and a market I can buy in. Uh, realized that there are turnkey companies, they got really bad rap, but I find uh, one of our military brethren's turnkey companies. I'm like, well, let me just go learn from somebody who's doing it. So I, I grab a turnkey property in Milwaukee. Great property. It's just an oil well of money, conservatively underwritten. So this property, and I, I'll, I'll just run through this property real quick. It cost me $108,000. It rents for $1,300. It's completely rehabbed, so no capex, obviously. Um, it rents, I basically pay 104 bucks for property management. I haven't had one other expense on it. So it right now it's cash flow on $550 a month. Uh, so that has, that got me excited. So I look at it and I say, well, that, that, that cost me 25% down. How do I do this without, how do I get my money back out and, you know, get velocity on my money? What are other options? So I stay on that list to continue to buy those properties. So money, right? Viewers probably like, well, how does this guy got money? Well, the other part of that education was I studied financial independence, retire early community pretty deeply. 
and realize like, wow, I just need to cut all my spending that doesn't bring value to my life or my family's life. And I need to save money. So I'm saying I've been this whole time. I'm saving over 50% of my income, um, which allows me to build capital rapidly. Um, okay. And then I've got the cash flowing property, right? So that's where, that's where money comes from. Cause that's always a big question. So the next thing is, is, well, I've got now I'm, now I'm saved all this money. There's no opportunity for me. So I go to these companies and I go to these people that I trust and have good relationships with. And they're like, Hey, you're also doing, you're also taking private lending. What, what terms are you getting right now? So I, st I just lend my money out. Okay. Let me get this money to work while I'm looking at opportunities. And that's kind of, that is what led me to realize that I personally want to, I'll, I'll, I like single family rentals. I'll continue to buy them. I don't think you have to focus on just one niche. I think you can diversify how you invest uh, personally. So I'll continue to buy some single families. I like the idea of them, but I want to get into the multifamily business. And that's kind of what leads me up to uh, buying multifamily, both small multifamily and um, large multifamily. So if you guys want, we can go into that and talk about that as well. Yeah. Before we do, yeah, we got right, we got to recap a little bit of this man. Yeah. We covered a lot. So I got notes. Yeah. I got notes later. right here. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's like, well, how do we buy multifamily <clears throat> property, military style? Stop. Listen to what Adam just said. Before he got there, he went through a long journey of understanding real estate, and he went through a lot of education. No video games. No, you know, none of that nonsense. He put his time and his energy towards bettering himself to put him in a better position to find the right opportunities. Not only did he study real estate, but he studied finance. Guys, we harp on this so much. If you are going, if you can't, if you can't control hundred dollars, you're not going to be able to control thousand dollars. You're not going to be able to control hundred thousand dollars. So what are you doing trying to make all this money? If you can't control the money that you already have, that's super important. Then he just looked at simple, simple, you know, uh, metrics, if you will, how do I get more money to invest more? He said, Hey, let me increase my income through multiple things, through promotions, obviously, as well as, uh, um, uh, private lending, private lending. He was able to give his money out and make money. In the meantime, he increased his income and then he saved a majority of it. Now he's ready to play. Now he's ready to play in the big leagues. Now let's get multiple doors. Love it. Yeah, so I love everything you said. I want to break some of this stuff down. I've, I've wrote some uh, wrote some notes. I want you to expound upon a little bit. So first, because I know there's a lot of our listeners out there that are going through the same exact thing as far as, hey, let me buy, you mentioned, buy a house at every single duty station I go to. They typically don't do the due diligence to think of how those expenses should work. They think, all right, my mortgage is $900. I'm making uh, $1,000. I'm cash flowing $100. Just like you said, they're not always factoring in all the expenses that they actually should. So can you give me an example? You don't have to use your actual home. Um, you can use however you want to, but give me an example of some of those things that you should be factoring in um, when you, if, you, if you're a veteran and you, you know, you're buying a house at a, a different duty station. So you're not having that false ideal that you're making more money than you actually are. Can you, can you explain on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think this is critical because I see so many people do this. So when you're looking at, you know, you say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to move out of this house and I'm my real estate agent or my future property management said this house will rent for a thousand dollars as an example. Okay. So awesome. That house is going to rent for a thousand. You bought it for a hundred thousand. It's theoretically a good deal. What are the expenses on it? So when I say expenses, how old is the house? 
Is it gonna need a lot of maintenance and repairs? A typical freshly rehabbed house, you'll calculate roughly 5% of the rental price as repair and maintenance, okay? Another thing you'd have to calculate is capital expenditure. So capital expenditure is all the big ticket items. So roofs, water heaters, furnace, those type of things. So you calculate some percentage for those things as well. So that stuff always is kind of getting set to the side for when those things come up. Um, another part of that is for us in the military, we're moving. We're trying to employ the idea. I'm not saying you can't manage your property. I personally don't like to manage my own properties. So I pay for property management. So if I'm gonna purchase a property, I'm writing 10% for property management and do it no matter what. And realistically, if you're paying 10% monthly for property management, actually probably costing you 12% because there's other fees. So let's just say 10% for property management. Then depending on the state you're in, who you know who's paying for the utilities? Who's paying for the waters? Is that the landlord or is that the tenant? Um, you know, because places like places I've been shopping, like Northwest Arkansas, uh, some of those properties, you you know, that's on the landlord to pay that, which really, really hurts, uh, hurts your cash flow numbers. It, the deal doesn't look as sweet once you start actually looking at what expenses you'll have. Who's responsible for lawn care and maintenance? Is there an HOA fee? And then, you know, all of that stuff. And we haven't even talked about your pity, your principal interest taxes and insurance on that property. So once you start putting all those those um, expenses in there, what does that look like now for your cash flow? That's really where you need to be looking. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. And then you also you got to consider that vacancy as well because if there's a turnover, yeah, absolutely, and that's a whole month's worth of mortgage that you have to pay, especially if you're if you're dealing with a single family home like most of us are. So I just wanted to. I, I love that you broke that down because that that is definitely something you should rewind and listen to when you're when you're about to buy your first home. And you think it, and you think that you might turn it into a rental. You gotta take it. You gotta take into consideration that because a lot of people, like I said, they'll get the home. Their mortgage is nine hundred dollars. They rent it out for a thousand dollars, and in reality, they're paying about fourteen hundred dollars a month when you include your pity plus all of your expenses. And they're they're, you know, they're losing out on about five hundred dollars a month. And when they move, they still have to pay the mortgage or the rent wherever they're moving to. So they're just finding themselves in a hole, but in their mind, they they have this idea that, Hey, you know, I got an asset, I'm making money, you know, I'm doing well, you know, but yeah, in, in reality, it's, it's something that something that you guys need to consider um, when you're buying your home. So the next thing I wanted to touch on, you talked about savings um, and you're living on, you talked about the fire movement. Um, can you, how are you doing that? Like, how, how are you doing that? You're, you know, I'm not sure what exactly, you know, what your wife's doing or anything like that, but there's a, there's a lot of people that are in similar situations and they're trying to figure out like how the hell this guy's living on 75% of his income or 50, 50% of his income. How the hell are you doing that? How, how can I do that? Yeah, that, that's a great question. This, I mean, this could be a, you know, a whole class in and of itself, but let's uh, just very simply, right? So financial independence, retire early community says, if you save 50% of your income over some short duration of time, like a decade, theoretically you could retire, right? So that's the whole scheme. And they're, the, the way you do it is really, really simple. You either grow the income, decrease the expenses and invest the, the gap, right? So grow the income, decrease the expenses and invest the gap. That's how you get to the retire early piece of financial independence. So for me personally, I, I'm, well, number one, when I commissioned, I commissioned and that's what I said, I'm gonna wait to have, children 
so that I can be in a financial position where my wife can stay home and take care of kids because that was our goal. That's what we wanted. Um, so that's that's where my wife's at right now. That's not to say she's not contributing because we know her her job is harder than mine, one. And then two, she's very much into this real estate thing and she does my budget and we do goals together. So she does the day-to-day -day budget. We have budget meetings monthly where, or actually really every two weeks we have a budget meeting. We sit down, we know exactly where every dollar's going, which is if, if you don't do anything, you need to know where every single one of your dollars is going. Have it, even if you're spending it on crazy stuff, tat, you know, for Marines, tattoo and alcohol mostly, it, write yeah. it down and know where exactly where it's going, right? Yeah, throw the crayons in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for lunch, right? You got to have lunch, so you need some crayons. Yeah. Um, so know, know where your money's going, right? So that's kind of, that's what we did. We, we had a, we sat down, we said, what are our goals? Uh, here's some, we educated together on the fire movement. And then we said, okay, so let's just, let's, let's spend, let's spend aggressively on the things that bring incredible value to my life, our life as a family. And then let's cut ruthlessly on those things that do not. And uh, we sat down and we said, what brings value to our life? What are those things that bring value to our life? We wrote them down together. We, we, you know, we made some hard decisions on stuff that we thought brought value to our life. And we realized when we thought about it, it didn't. And we got rid of it, right? So you have three, you have three major expenses, right? These are the things that take, so your, your housing, your shelter takes up a lot of your money. Your food takes up a lot of your money. Um, and your vehicles take up a lot of your money. So for me, I have the same exact vehicle I had a decade ago. And don't get me wrong, I often get, I see a Tesla down the road and I want it. Mm -hmm. I see a, a beautiful truck, you know, all leather, nice, man, I want it. I want it too. I want it just like everybody else does. But then I go back and I look at my goals and I look at what brings value to my life. And I say, is that, is that helping me get to where I want to be? And it's not, frankly. And I don't spend a lot of time in a vehicle. So uh, that's kind of, that's kind of where we went on the fire movement. And that's how, you know, cut ruthlessly and spend aggressively on the things that bring value. And we were able to get rid of a bunch of unnecessary bills. And, you know, fortunately for us, we don't have expensive habits. Yeah, that's beautiful. I need to, I need to touch on the fact that you, you, you highlighted that you spend aggressively on the things that bring you joy. When people think budget, they almost treat it like the word diet. They think like, oh, I have to cut out everything. I can't enjoy my life. But the thing with budget and diet, it's just what you're consuming. That's what that term really means. It's what you're eating or what you're spending on. So if you sit there and say, hey, I'm spending money on frivolous things that don't mean anything, let me cut that out. How much more discretionary income do I have? That was perfect. If you love going to the gym, spend your money on a gym. Go, go to two gyms. I don't care because you're enjoying your life. If you are restricting your money so much that you hate waking up, you hate going to work, that's not the way to live, right? And so you can be very purposeful with your money when you do exactly what Adam just said. You spend on the things that brings you just insurmountable joy, cut out the rest of the stuff. It's just noise. Yeah, yeah and it, 
Believe it or not, you know, for us, it's fitness and travel, right? So All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast, and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there, so go check that out. And with that, here's a word from our sponsors. Those are two. Those are two big items. The cool thing about travel is there's a lot of ways to do travel hacking. So you yes. can use, yes. uh, you know, once you become responsible with your money, then you can use tools. Money is just a tool you can use. You can start having that money work for you. So yes. you know, in the military, you get the American Express at no cost. Vice everybody else who pays four hundred dollars a year, you can use the points. You can travel. I actually before coronavirus. I should just be coming back from a Hawaii vacation, my family that we funded completely with the American Express points. Mm, nice. um, you know, so that that was our scheme. So we spent on it, but really we used the tool of money to pay, have the money pay for the vacation. Yes, man. So like living, living purpose, purposefully, right? And you were able to do that by beginning with the end in mind, right? So you wrote out your goals through the use of your goals, you figure out what is important to you, what brings you the most value. And it helps you obviously keep, keep track of um, pretty much. I assume that kind of helps you wake up in the morning and, and keep pushing, pushing forward. And it helps combat that feeling that you're talking about. Like, Hey, the Tesla, I want the Tesla, you know, but I also understand that I need to be living a little bit below my, below my means in order to get to this larger end goal. Right. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. So um, again, we're talking about, you know, how to buy a multifamily property, military style. Let's get into that piece. Yes. Okay. So this is, this is where the goal setting kind of led me down this multifamily route. So going into 2020, my wife and I, we had a goal date. So we went out to this restaurant for brunch and we, you know, brought all of our, we had a, we had a slew of questions that we wanted to answer together. What are our personal goals? How can I help you achieve your goals? How can you help me achieve my goals? And what are our goals together? What are our financial goals? So when we looked at our financial goals, we said, we want to, our overarching goal statement was we want to make enough money that we can give most of it away. Okay. So that was, that was kind of our, our why from the financial side of the house. We said, all right, now we need to define what that is. So, uh, how much money do we need to sustain what we're doing in our lifestyle and have the things we want? And then how, like, you know, what are those things that we want to give the money away to and how can we get enough money to do that? So we started looking at it through that lens. Um, that really what happened there was that led us to a, a certain number for passive uh, income in the, the decade term. So within the next seven to 10 years, we're looking to make 20 grand a month in passive income. That was the number, right? So that, you know, in conjunction with military retirement, that, that worked out for us so that we can give most of it away. He said, all right, so how do I get there? Well, single family is going to be kind of slow. Can I get into multifamily? And I started looking at multifamily and I stumbled upon a really good opportunity. So I was networking aggressively, which I still do today. Highly recommend networking aggressively. And I reached out to a guy. So I'm listening to podcasts. Here a guy puts a cell phone number on there cool. I'm going to call this guy, call this guy and say, tell me everything about what you're doing right now. Like, how can I bring value to your life? And we start talking. He's like, Hey, I actually think you're, 
good dude, do you want to do a joint venture on this 42 unit, $2.1 million apartment complex? I'm like, I'm all in, you know? So right now all I have is book smarts and a little bit of capital, but I don't necessarily, I've ne I don't have the experience in multifamily. So this is like great. So it's not just a passive investing. I'm a joint venture partner, which means I have to be active in it, right? So it's really cool. So I get this guy who is the operator on the ground. Uh, there's another great, great human who is a NFL, retired NFL linebacker who's doing this. Uh, another guy who's like an electrician, he owns a business up in Milwaukee. And then I've got a dentist and then you've got me, right? So we've got this like ragtag group of dudes who are going to go buy this apartment complex. And a couple of the, the NFL linebacker and the operator had already had pretty deep experience doing this. They just closed a couple deals. Yeah. Um, so this is awesome. Like now, you know, military style, uh, you know, how to buy this multifamily property military style is, you know, we're super organized. We're reading every document. We're incredibly disciplined. So the, these guys are, hey, here's all the rent rolls. Uh, here's the, the profit and loss statement. Here's the trailing 12. So I'm just, I'm just analyzing stuff for them. Like, hey, can you go through this? I'm making spreadsheets. Uh, you, you know, the kind of stuff you see pretty well done in the military. So we're going through this whole thing. And here's, here's what ends up happening with this property. It was a good deal until we went into due diligence. And this one particular property, it was, um, it was on like this commercial septic system. Everything was good up until we realized there was a sewer system close to it during our due diligence process. And what that meant for us was the city could theoretically tell us we need to hook up, right? which is fine, except for that incurs a cost of, you know, roughly $150,000, $200,000, which would sour the deal. So we went back to the seller. We're, we're deep in due diligence. We've done many things at this point. So we go back to the seller and we say, we need another $100,000 in credits towards closing to bring us to $250,000 in total. Um, and the seller, the seller comes up some, but won't come the whole way or won't even meet us to where we're, you know, we come down a little bit and the seller ends up not closing. So we end up having to to walk away from that. And man, is it hard to walk away from your first deal when you really, really want to close it. But when you run the numbers, you realize if you have to pay for that on top of the other things you found in due diligence, the deal is no longer good to go. The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. So you got to take the emotion out of it. I love how I love how there's a few different things there. One, when you talked about resources in the beginning, I, I love to always refer to resources as the resource triangle, if you will. You have your time, you have your money, and you have your experience. And only the only way you can complete a deal is by filling in the trifecta. And sometimes when you don't have it, you just have to identify that gap. That could be through partnership, private money, whatever the case is. So you guys did that. You, you partnered up and you guys went through very military style and stayed very organized and diligent through the process and understanding that a good deal for you meant a certain number, whatever that number was, could have been IRR, internal rate of return. It could have been your return on investment, cash on cash, does not matter. You determined what your criteria was and as things unfold during the due diligence, like the special assessment or whatever the case may be, you dictated, hey, these are the numbers I have to go. Now, when you walked away, yes, it was painful, but it was very clear. It was a, it was a simple choice, right? It was simple, like if the numbers don't work, then we have to back away. That's how you keep it very clean and you keep the emotion out of it. I love it. That was great. Yeah, and it, it, it was just a great experience because I got to see, 
you know, how do you put an operating agreement together? Like, what is the due diligence process? When you fly out to this, you know, down to the level of detail, when you fly out to the property to do the due diligence and walk through every single unit, you've got a specific checklist. You, you literally are going, you walk in the door, you're going to turn left, you're going to look at the sink, you're going to look under the sink, you're going to like, it's a, it is a very regimented, uh, disciplined process in which you do it, which, you know, some people may not know that. Um, like all of that stuff, there's a certain way you look at the rents, you know, the, so one thing I found out about multifamily, the large multifamily, at least for commercial is, uh, the numbers, the times the numbers do lie is when they give you the, um, you know, the, the Perform initial, yep. The initial performa, like, Hey, as an example, this, this property is all two bedroom, one bath, and here's what the net operating income is. That is like never true. Mm -hmm. Right. And turns out for us during due diligence, this property was almost all two bedroom and one bath minus two of them, right? So that's pretty significant from a rent perspective. But yeah, that was a, that was a good experience. Um, so I found a lot of, I found out the value of um, due diligence. You got to be a stoic in due diligence. You can't let the emotion overcome you. Mm -hmm. Just remember the numbers don't lie. Um, if it's a sour deal, it's a sour deal. Just be smart about it. And, and guys, there's actually a, a book. I don't think I have it here, but I highly recommend it for um, commercial investing, especially for the multifamily space. There's a book by, I think it's Brian Hennessy, and it's a commercial real estate due diligence book. Um, in there is literally step-by-step -step checklists of everything you can even think or that you don't even think of. Um, as Adam alluded to, there's septic systems. If there's a city sewer system nearby, the city could dictate and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to force an assessment, making you hook up. If there's, um, you know, industrial complexes near you, then an environmental survey may be required or an environmental report may be required by the lender. There's all kinds of stuff that you may not know, but again, through education and through filling in that gap of experience on that triangle, you can quickly cover up those things. And then as Adam said, you have to stay stoic. You have to stay, uh, uh, stick to your guns when it comes to your criteria of a good deal. So that one there, that one there didn't work out. But what happened next? Okay, so I'm still networking. So that one is in uh, you know the St. Louis area. I'm still networking with, so I had identified a couple different markets and I built relationships with, some you know typical team members so your real estate agent property management certain market so i find this incredible guy on bigger pockets uh real estate agent broker down in northwest arkansas i see that that is an area you know that has a lot of cash flow potential not necessarily a lot of appreciation potential so i'm i he's sending me deals all the time and i come across these um i come across these duplexes so first i get a deal and it's a quad this is an incredible due diligence experience too so it's a it's being offered as a fourplex but it's two separate duplexes i'm like oh okay that's cool so they want it's very cheap it's like i think it's a hundred and fifty thousand dollars is what they're asking or a hundred seventy five thousand dollars something not that expensive I'm like well that's that's cheap i should at least take a flyer on this and it's renting for um you know like 600 a door which is 1800 bucks so the numbers look good on the surface uh, so I go, I say, Hey, that, that man, that looks really awesome. Like, what's it look like? Can you drive by it? Drives by and he's like, ah, it's got some deferred maintenance. So I said, okay, let's, I'll give them 138.5 for the, it was, they were asking 150. I said, I'll give them 138.5 for it. Um, 
they came back and said 142. I said, okay, 139. And they accepted. So I was like, wow, that's uh, deeply discounted. That's 11 grand off the off the top on a fourplex. Okay, cool. Now let me get the financing and stuff in place. I go to get the financing in place and they're like, hey, this is two separate buildings, two separate parcels. Mm -hmm. So the parcel is the land with the tax ID and it has the improvement, which is the building on the parcel. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, can I mean, can I still buy them? They're like, yeah, but you got to buy them separately. And I'm like, how do they own them? So I start calling people. I find out the bank who's servicing the debt on these properties. And I'm like, hey, what's the deal with this? How is it? How are both of these owned under one loan? And it's a commercial loan. It's terrible terms. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want that. So, you know, I start looking at, can I, can I combine the parcels? Turns out you can actually combine parcels really easy. You literally just call the city and they erase the line and give you a new parcel number. <laughs> uh, didn't realize it was that simple. So I learned that. Um, but I, anyways, I, I was able to put independent offers in on each one and I was going to do loans on each one, which started to make the numbers work, right? Because it costs money to get money. So the loans are going to cost me money and now I'm doing two of them. So I'm paying double the price on that. Mm -hmm. So I'm already like, ah, even though this is deeply discounted, I don't like it. So one thing that I decided to do is instead of having a home inspector go through the property, I hired out independent contractors. So I hired a HVAC guy, I hired a roofer, I hired an electrician, uh, I hired a plumber, and it cost me about the same as hiring an, a, a home inspector would cost me anyways. So I sent those guys through it and um, as each one's going through, it's looking worse and worse. I mean, it's got terribly, terrible, terrible deferred maintenance. So the last guy that's going to go through is my plumber. But before that, I'm already looking at like thousands of dollars of repair I needed on this thing. So I go back and I say, hey, I tell my agent, like, Chris, man, like, I can't do this deal unless we can come down on this price. And I said, we still haven't even had the plumbing guy go through yet. He's like, okay, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm going to need probably another seven grand off per property. So I went from uh, 139, I think, I think it was like 60, 69.5 each, right? Down to like 62 or 63 each. And they accepted. So now I'm even, now I'm even more concerned. I'm like, man, this guy really wants to dump this property. It had so much deferred maintenance. And these, this was probably a C minus property. It's got tenant problems. You know, they've had one tenant in there who's been in there for years. He's just a hoarder. Like, who knows what's in that thing? Um, so I'm already now I'm already on edge with this thing. I'm like, ah, there's still money to be made. The numbers are still telling me I can make money here. So I'm not gonna worry about that. Then we get the plumber to go through, and he's like, Oh, you need this whole thing needs to be redone. It's gonna cost you tens of thousands of dollars. It's gonna cost you almost as much as you're paying for this property to get these two things right. And I'm just like, I can't do it. Cause it was going to need a roof. It was going to need all the cap expenses. So we ended up having to trigger uh, our contingency and walk away from it. So that was, that was two duplexes. And then I had an almost exactly similar experience with a third duplex in Northwest Arkansas, which it looked, it was a lot better from the numbers. It didn't have as much deferred maintenance, but the plumbing was poor. Uh, and it was going to cost me a bunch of money to get the plumbing back up, which would have soured the deal from a numbers perspective.
All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast, and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there, so go check that out, and with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. Geez, so you're you're like a god at running at due diligence now. I mean, like, you gotta be like the best. Like, that, that's crazy that you've um you've you've went through the forty two unit and then you went through the couple of duplexes and you, I think you said a triplex or a, three I mean, duplexes. Okay, a, a couple of a couple of different duplexes going through the due diligence period. Um, but that's extremely important, and those are gonna those are gonna pay dividends obviously it's going to pay dividends. It has paid dividends, you know, moving, uh, continuing to move forward um, and making sure you're not making a bad investment. And that's where you make your money on the buy, right? Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't make money when you sell, you make money when you buy. And, and by that, he talked about getting the home deeply discounted, right? Having equity already built in it. Um, he talked about, obviously you can, when you repair, when you make those renovations, let's say you did buy that four unit and let's say some of that stuff wasn't, uh, it wasn't as bad as, as what you found out to be. If you would have, he, if you would have bought that and been able to renovate it with a decent, with a, uh, a good cost, then, um, he would have forced appreciation into the asset. So not only did he make money, not only would he have made money, um, buying it deeply discounted, right? He also would have forced appreciation to it, making it worth even more. So bought bought a hundred. Let's say it was actually worth one hundred fifty thousand dollars. He bought it. He would have bought it for about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars or so, and then made the repairs, and then the home would have been worth maybe one hundred seventy thousand or something like that. Uh, so that's that, that's that's the idea. I love that you actually went into it with that with that thought in mind. Another thing I like is that you were creative, right? Uh, I'm big, big, big on not just walking away on the first sign of trouble. You made sure you looked at every option to include the parcel ID, right? It's not very difficult to to combine two parcels, but many people will hear that and they'll be like, oh, I got to go talk to the county. Oh, nope, right? They're just going to walk away. Are the loan types? Yeah, commercial loans are expensive. Portfolio loans, you can you can do that one way, but what if you just make it one parcel and then you get a different type of loan? All these different things. Uh, but the one thing I really like the most that I have to point out is you used independent contractors instead of a home inspector. For all of you who use a home inspector, now don't don't get it twisted. I like home inspectors as well, but I I do pest. And I get contractors. And the reason why is because a home inspector is going to go through and see something wrong. What is he going to put in the report? Confer to a, a specialist, hire, right? Or Hire the expert. Yeah, go to an expert. Recommend you get an expert to look at it. So they're going to charge you a certain amount just to go get those guys anyway. So that was, I really like, I've never heard that on this podcast before. So that's just a technique, not saying it's the right answer, but something to consider in your market. You know, every market's different. So I like that. Yeah, yeah that's what's great. What's next, great man? Experience. We got two two bangerangs got hit overside the head on two of them. Yeah, so so that kind of led me up to a few months ago, and what I've been looking at. So I've just been networking aggressively with the multifamily community. Uh, I got you know recently an introduction to Joe Fairless through another multifamily guy. Yep. Uh, you know, obviously all these people have coaching programs. I'm not doing those coaching programs. 
Um, and I'm doing no coaching programs. I, the only thing that I'm in is a uh, mastermind group with just all military guys. It's super cheap. And it's just really a bunch of military guys meeting up talking about real estate. Uh, so that's the only thing I'm actually doing. That Because when I look at multifamily, I see people pay a lot of money People are paying a lot of money to be coached to learn how to do this process that I am not doing that. I wanted to be clear on that. Um, so for me, I'm talking to these multifamily people and I've got capital. So I'm looking at right now, I've got a couple opportunities to invest in other people's deals. And obviously those deals are all under, you know, certain SEC requirements. So you can't talk too deeply about those deals, but um, I'm looking at two different things right now, multifamily, commercial multifamily apartments, and then also a mobile home park deal that are really, really interesting, great returns, but more importantly to me, great trustworthy people that I wanna be invested with. So that's where I'm at right now and that's kind of what I'm working on. I'm still purchasing turnkey uh, rental properties up in Milwaukee through that company just because it's, so, it's such a great experience, I love it. Yo, that's where I'm at right now, that's today. Yeah. So you leverage all this experience to get you to a point where you're now comfortable to start networking with the individuals who have access to those properties. You now know how to evaluate a property because you just went through that process. So when people say, how do you get started in multifamily? It's literally going through, going through the grind. There is no, there is no easy button. There is no boop. I'm, I'm just going to do it tomorrow. And it's very simple. No, it takes time. It takes a military approach into making sure that you're staying organized and diligent and persistent. And then now I guarantee it won't be long. As soon as you get it, you got to let us know. We're going to bring it back. And so you can go apart oh, yeah. too. Yeah, man. Like you're still, still knocking out the, the, uh, the base hits, you know, with the, with the, the single family turnkeys, man, that's it. You said they're really, really easy. You don't really got to do too, too much due diligence. And you already have built a rapport with a person up there in Milwaukee. So it's too easy to continue to buy those, continue to build on uh, your cash flow, And then on top, and, and then obviously, you know, build your network through those, uh, through those uh, turnkey homes as well. So um, just wrapping it up a little bit, right? If you could give any piece, any one single piece of advice to a person out there listening, uh, what would that what would that advice be yeah so if, you know I'm, I'm a kind of a product of my personal environment so number one is educate yourself become smart at the different whatever you're interested in if it's real estate if it's something out get become smart at that and then take action in that arena you know be be the man or woman in the arena become become smart at it and then take action have a bias for action be the man or woman in the arena Excellent. Excellent. Dude. All right. And, um, so you, you gave us a lot of freaking information. You gave us, I absolutely love your story from, from the beginning to the end, you know, the education piece to the due diligence piece to the, you know, knocking out, knocking out the, um, the turnkeys. I love it. Love it. Love it. How can our listeners get in contact with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm active on social media. So you can find me on Instagram at REI underscore AW. Um, or you can just look me up on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm on, I'm on all the social media platforms. Excellent. Hey, and we'll have all, if you're listening, we'll have all those links down below. You'll see his, uh, his at or his Instagram right there, um, right below his picture. And then also, 
Uh, we'll make sure all the other information is down there in the show notes. So just click on that and make sure you reach out to uh, Adam. He's also uh, in our Facebook group. We've got over 450 members now, I think. Um, all, all active or all service members, past and present, who are interested and who are knocking out deals, learning, taking action and doing things. There's a lot of great conversations going on in the military cash flow Facebook group. So I strongly recommend you come on and, uh, and check that out. Just, uh, just join us there. Um, also, if you're watching this on uh, YouTube, make sure you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. So you get the videos as they're coming out. And then lastly, if you're listening to us on podcast, make sure you leave us that five-star review, let us know how we're doing. Um, and you got anything, Mike? Nope. Adam, I greatly appreciate you coming out and sharing all of your knowledge and experience uh, with the audience. I, I, there's a lot of great takeaways there. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Dude, it's awesome. It's awesome. Hey, with that, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glaspie. Signing off.